Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Conversational. My name is Julie Rame, and today my guest is Jessica Rhodes. Jessica is the leading expert on how to leverage podcast guesting for increased brand awareness. So it feels like I'm self-serving here by having an expert on how to help me increase my own brand awareness. Um, she helps generate more leads and high, prof- high profits. She's created the podcast booking industry in 2013 when she founded Interview Connections, which is the first and leading agency of its kind. Super impressive. Along with her business partner, Margie, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Margie. Um, yeah, Margie. Is it Margie Feldhun? Feldhun? Feld, Mar- Margie Feldhun. Feldhun. Poor, poor Margie. I've just put your name <laughs> Margie, apologies. Margie Feldhune. Jessica has quickly scaled interview connections to over a million dollars in annual revenue with almost no direct marketing or advertising. And it's because of her team of in-house booking agents and the podcast powerhouses behind many of the successful entrepreneurs and businesses, including Allie Brown, Penny Perry Marshall. I always almost said Penny, but Perry Marshall. <laughs> However, <laughs> USA Financial and more. So look, she's done a ton of really exciting things. She's had hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, interviews, both as a guest and as a co-host of Rock the Podcast. She's acclaimed author of the book, Interview Connections, How to Rock the Podcast from Both Sides of the Mic. And she's been featured speaker of Podcast Multimedia Expo and FinCon. So an active member of her community, Jessica also volunteers at her son's public school, mentors a 17-year-old girl in foster care, and has nothing to do with the fact that her last name is exactly the same. She lives in Rhode Island with her husband, her two kids, Nathan and Lucy, and of course her cat kitten. So welcome to the podcast. I love the, <laughs> I, I you know I love the fact that we can segue immediately into um, your your kind of your life and your Hoshimos by talking about the fact that you're actually um, it's it's sort of symbolic, it's biotic in that you're fostering somebody right now yourself, because as we start off with your, your childhood and your early days, that was kind of a part of, of who you were, right? So you grew, if I, if I remember correctly, you grew up right outside of Philly. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, it's called Exton, Pennsylvania, and uh, had a nice big backyard. Um, I'm one of four kids. I have a twin sister. So had a great, had a great childhood. It's amazing. Well, your twin sister, are you the older or the younger of the twins? I'm four minutes older. Very proud to say. (laughs) Wow. That's actually a lot really in the twin world, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think for, yeah, four, yeah, about four minutes older. I'm very, very wise in those extra four minutes. (laughs) Right. It's it's like, it's all totally different, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what did your parents do um, growing up out of curiosity? Yeah. My, so my mom, had a long career in early childhood education, working at, you know, the YMCA. And then she got her bachelor's in education and was a a teacher. Um, So she worked in early childhood education for a long time across a variety of different schools. And my dad has always been a businessman. He was head of franchising for bike line for a long time. And then when I was about 12 or 13, um, he lost his job, and that was right around the same time as two, uh, 9-11, and um, then he got cancer. So there was like kind of a whole 
crazy storm around that time. And so he was unemployed for a long time and then became an entrepreneur. So he started his own company when I was a teenager. And so he's been an entrepreneur for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, however long, however long it's been since then. That's amazing. It's, I, mean, I mean, look, the whole... <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine, you know, 9-11 and you were, were you still in Philly? Uh, yeah. So we were still in Exton. I lived in the same house, uh, you know, was, we moved to that house when I was like six months old or something like that. And my parents moved out of that house well after I moved out. So we, we were in one home, never moved as a child, which I'm grateful for. Cause I, I think that is, that can be quite disruptive at different points in a childhood. Yeah. So yeah, we were in the same home my whole life. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I've, I have no idea what that's like. We moved I lived in 12 states and twice as many cities. So I'm oh my gosh. One, so I, I'm just the opposite. I have no idea what it would be like to live <laughs> in this place. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's what you're, it's, you know, it's what you're used to. But going back to your, your family and that sort of difficult time, um, you know, during 9-11 and then your, your dad getting cancer and losing the job mm-hmm. um, and your mom, was she still teaching at the time? Yep. Yeah. So my mom was teaching, she was working for, I think she was assistant director of an early childhood education center. Um, and then I believe at that time she, she moved up after my dad lost his job. He lost his job before nine 11, because I remember he lost his job and then was, you know, actively job hunting. At one point we almost thought we were going to move to Florida. And I remember like seeing photos of houses they were looking at because he got, um, was close to getting offered a job in Florida. And it was just like, Ooh, like we're going to move to Florida and there's going to be pools and all this stuff. And then I think it was that job offer that, you know, rescinded their offer after 9-11 cause you know, every company was like, we don't know what's happening right now. And that's, that's then shortly after that is when he was diagnosed with uh, skin cancer. Oh, that's awful. Did he, how did he, did he survive that battle? Yes. Yes, he did. He did. Yep. He is, he is with us today and has been cancer free, uh, for, for a long time. So very, you know, very grateful for that. I, I don't remember exactly like how long the battle was. I, I remember the day that he had surgery because I went to stay at my friend's house and had a sleepover because my parents didn't want us all around for whatever it was like after, you know, coming home from surgery, all drugged up. They didn't want to see, <laughs> they didn't want us to see dad in that state. Right. So I remember going to a friend's house so we would kind of be, uh, you know, kind of protected from whatever that experience was, but, um, it was definitely like really rocked his world. Um, and it was a big, you know, really inspired a big lifestyle change because I remember he would lay out, we had a pool in the backyard and he would lay out there baking in the sun every summer. Um, and now, you know, he's got a shirt sunscreen and we're all very aware of the importance of being protected from the sun now. It's it's a hard way to have to learn the lesson. I know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. So I know, so in addition to, I mean, you've got the, I know your, your youth was really interesting and as all of our youth are very formative, but you've, Mm -hmm. I think so much of these stories that you're, you, you have about your youth, um, certainly they're, they, they qualify as holy shit moments, but yeah. they're also, uh, I think so much form kind of the things that you've done. I know that you mm-hmm. said that your mom, um, I know she's a, she's a big influence in your life, mm-hmm. but she was kind of connecting the dots with, which what I mentioned in your bio about mm-hmm. the foster, um, child that you mentor mm-hmm. today, um, mm-hmm. that you, you had a lot of interaction with foster kids when you were growing up too. 
Yeah. So when I was a kid, um, you know, my mom being an early childhood education was always, and is still always so passionate about helping children. Like she's, you know, with everything happening in the world, like her number one priority, like now it's like grandkids, you know, her, my, my two kids and my niece and my nephew, it's like, she is always like focused on the kids and how is this impacting the kids? And so, you know, as the, as a kid, she was really involved with an organization called Fresh Air Fund. And so every summer for many years, she would, you know, she was, I think that was a, it was a volunteer led organization. So she was really active. I don't know if she was on the board or, but she did a lot of organizing with that. And so what would happen is, um, it would bring kids from New York city into, um, you know, different suburbs. So we would have these kids that would come and stay with us for like six weeks. So it was sort of like their summer vacation. They weren't foster kids. They were, um, you know, they had families and everything, but it was just their way of getting out of the city and experiencing like a totally different lifestyle, you know, from, from being in the city to then seeing fireflies at night and like going to the beach and just having a totally different life experience. And it was, it was great for the kids because they just had their eyes opened up to a new kind of world, um, even just a few hours away. And it was great for us because I mean, like I said, I'm in a family of six. I've got a twin sister and two older brothers. We grew up in a three bedroom house. Right. So like we were, it was just like, that's the big, um, we had two, two and a half bathrooms. So there was like one full bathroom, you know, for mom and dad, and then a full bathroom for the kids. And then we had a half bath on the first floor. So, but it was tight. You know, we had a really big backyard. So there was a lot of time outside. Um, but to have that size house and then bring in an extra kid, (laughs) um, during the summer was like, it really, you know, the impact it had on me was like, we don't need a lot of space to, I know it sounds so cheesy, but like, we don't need a lot of space to have a lot of love, right? Like you don't need, (laughs) never said that before, but it's, as I'm talking about it, it really did have an impact. I've never really desired to have like a huge house. I've always like, you know, the house we're in right now, um, also three bedrooms. I've got two kids though, not four. Um, but it's like, I'm very like content and happy. Like I've never desired to have like tons of tons of space because that's never what I, I was never taught that that's what was needed or, or even what was necessarily desired by, by my parents. Um, in fact, they sold their house and live on a boat now. So they, they really downsized. That's amazing. That's hysterical on the East coast. Yeah. So they uh, are, their home port is in uh, Maryland in the Chesapeake Bay and they, um, they sail up and down the East coast through the intracoastal waterway. So when they sold, you know, my childhood home, they moved onto a boat. So they, (laughs) they, they, yeah, they downsized in a really interesting way. And, you know, it was just through the experience of them just giving, even when, they didn't feel, or it didn't seem like there was much to give. There was always, always time and love and attention that was given. And it was just like having those kids that totally different background and lifestyle to us, just join our family for six weeks. Um, it really had a big impact on me. Did you, were you doing this when your dad was unemployed and you guys were tight on money still? Yeah, this was before my dad lost his job. So I don't know if we brought many more kids to stay with us after my dad lost his job. So I think it was before that there might've been some overlap, but I know it, like it was when we were, you know, like between the ages of like five and probably 10 or something like that. Um, well, Cause you mentioned, I, and I was asking because you, mm-hmm. you kind of go back to these family values and, mm-hmm. and to this more of what's important and what you, you know, you ended up doing and how you were doing it, I think is, is important, but you'd mentioned the, you had to learn through your dad's unemployment, the value of the dollar, yeah. you know, what, it, what it meant and, and 
you weren't coddled as a child. Mm-mm. No. Right? Yeah, exactly. When I was 11, I started babysitting 11 or 12. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, right as soon as I could. And I remember there was like a family across the street that had a baby and I started babysitting for them. And I have memories. Like I can just picture it in my mind memories when I was babysitting for that family. And, you know, when I put the baby down for bed at night, um, I actually kind of, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe they let an 11 year old babysit their baby. This was at the time when there were cribs that were slanted up. They don't do that anymore. Um, cribs are all flat, but back then there was like this time where they had cribs that slanted up. And I remember I put the baby's head on the wrong side of the crib (laughs) and, um, I had no idea, right? Like I had no idea. And the baby wouldn't stop crying. And so finally, like, you know, I probably like call my mom or something like the baby won't stop crying. And they're like, yeah, you put the baby on the, I'm like, Oh my God. Like I cannot believe they put an 11 year old in charge. (laughs) But I remember like, you know, when I would put the baby down, I was like a totally irrelevant tangent. It just like, that was probably burned in my brain. Like, wow, you hysterical. (laughs) No, no. Kind of going to your, just your money. Like you had talked about like having to, to, to earn money. And I just think as a child, um, you know, kind of going from, sort of being the, you know, quintessential mid Midwestern, you know, or, or committed middle East coastern yeah. you know, family in sort of the suburbia, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then having kind of everything, you know, your dad's sick and then the unemployment yeah. and having good work was probably very, um, I probably had a big, a big emotional toll on you, I would think. Yeah. I mean, and, and I remember like when I was, it, and so when I would, I would babysit, like I would, I would go just like above and beyond and like put the dishes away at night and stuff like that. So that was like from, and this is even before my dad lost his job. And so even though it was before he was unemployed, like we never, and I don't know exactly what my parents' bank account looked like before he lost his job. I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure it was fine, but we were never, um, you know, it never seemed like we were super well off because we weren't just like handed $20 a week allowances. I mean, they also had four kids. So, uh, you know, and I, I just remember that, um, you, you did have to, to work for it. And, and I also, you know, know that my parents did such a good job of really protecting me and my siblings from whatever trauma they were experiencing through the unemployment and the debt. And I mean, the side jobs that my dad took on, um, it really takes something to swallow your pride and, and do some of the jobs that he did as, you know, a middle like 40 something year old man with four kids, he would stock shelves at target at night overnight, um, like on the third shift. So he could be trying to like build his business during the day. Um, he was a courier at one point. I remember there was one trip he had to take where, um, he had, <laughs> he had to, uh, as a courier, bring like um, a cooler of like pig blood or something. It was just like, you oh. know, these couriers are like hired to like transport oh really random stuff. And, and like there was some, like, I think the, the it spilled in his car. And it was just like one of those like, like rock bottom moments. And I remember seeing that and just like the impact. I don't know if how much I comprehended at the time, but certainly remembering that as an adult now, just looking back and saying, you know what, like when you have a family to support, you will do literally anything, you know, to make it work and to make ends meet. And I, I just remember seeing that. And I think like part of that impact was when I, 
you know, got pregnant with my first child and wanted to be home. Um, this is nowhere near having pig blood spit, spill in the back of your car, but I became a virtual assistant and was doing like $15 an hour, you know, virtual assistant freelance work doing like really just basic administrative work when I had worked my way up to like director level in my nonprofit and, you know, was really, um, very always been career ambitious. And then I was like, okay, I'm checking links on a website. But it's like I was doing, this was for my family. This was for my kids. And I, I really got that from seeing my dad stock shelves at Target. <laughs> right. Well, and, it, and then it, and it makes more sense because I, I happen to know that you, um, you know, you, you got into acting. And mm-hmm. I, I just wonder sometimes if, uh, you know, if I, look, this is just my own, you know, people who go into my own point of view, my, people who go into kind of acting and find find, you know, a huge connection there that sometimes it's also because it's a release from some of the realities that are going. Oh my God. Yeah. Stressful. Is that, I mean, does that resonate with you? Yeah. At a young age, right? Yeah. And actually you saying that I'm like, wow, I never really made that, that conscious connection, but I did do theater all all through my childhood and I'm sure, and I was very involved with all of the plays at school and the musicals. And I'm sure there was a lot of that totally going into another world when I would go to play practice and, you know, rehearsal for the musical, it was a total escape from reality, total escape from reality. Um, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with my ability to not be super negatively impacted by what my parents were going through. Cause I, they kept life pretty normal for us kids, um, you know, throughout that all. And I think having those activities, like for me, it was, was theater and dreaming big. I mean, I, I, I dreamt of being on Broadway and I had that dream and that goal for a pretty long time until, until college when I kind of had that dose of reality and was like, okay, let's switch to communication. <laughs> you went starting, right? Yeah. In theater, right? I did. I, yeah. And it was, you know, my dad that actually took me to a lot of my auditions for, you know, I went into applying to college and all of that thinking I was going to major in musical theater. And, you know, I remember he took me out to Pittsburgh to audition at Point Park University. Oof, I'll never forget that audition. Did not go well. It's kind of crazy when you think back of like the insane optimism you have as a kid. Like I really, really miss that. Like to the, to the, the time when I really believed that it was possible (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I could do musical theater professionally. Like, I mean, as a 17, 18 year old kid, I really believed that was possible. And I just, I miss that, that time in life of, of being a child who thinks big things. And I think that's the kind of the constant, um, challenge as adults. We always have to keep creating possibilities because it's so natural for kids too. It's right. No, it's a, it's a, you just don't know what you, you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't yeah. know it can't be done. Right. And until we start to be exposed, but it, just mm-hmm. to that end, I mean, you were positive. Was it, I mean, what did it take for you to realize? Because I think you, was it, were yeah. professors? Was it just you? How did yeah. the realization hit you? So uh, my parents were telling me, I don't have any recollection of them telling me, but I know that they were, you know, kind of pushing me in the direction of a, of a, of a school and of a major that maybe was a little bit more general, something a little bit more employable. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I think I never heard it from them. I just, you know, I, I wasn't hearing it from them. And then it was actually my theater teachers in high school that you know, Mr. Brown and Mr. McGraw, and they were like, 
don't major in theater. You know, like it is a different, like you love doing theater in school and high school. You love the experience um, of it as an activity, but don't do this professionally. Um, and then it, it was finally that I was like, okay, okay, I'll probably go to Temple University. I could still major in theater because I'm uh, also pretty stubborn and didn't yeah. want to admit ever, anyone else was right besides me. So I still, I'll, I'll make the compromise. I'll go to a liberal arts school where I could change majors if I wanted to. So I still majored in theater. And then it was uh, my second semester of college in my freshman year that I switched over to a communications major. And we're glad you did, right? I mean, now- yes. The form of that, like you've taken that and run with it. But yeah. how did you, so what, what was, I mean, you know, having to leave a dream behind is always a hard thing. I think, especially one you've held for so long. Mm-hmm. What, what I, I, I think that there was a great moment that you had shared with me before about um, seeing a flyer mm-hmm. uh, at one point that, that was sort of the, the next big holy ship moment, you know, like not yeah. flyer, but this flyer kind of changed your life. Yes, absolutely. So I remember I was walking on, on, uh, campus at Temple and I had been working even after shortly after I changed my major to communication, I was still, I still had my work study job, um, for $6 an hour. I was working in the costume shop at the theater at Temple and I'm like, I need this job. And, you know, work study was, you know, something that, you know, I needed that little bit of an income, um, because all of the student debt and everything was, my dad did not, like, I think he co-signed with me, but it was still all my student debt. So I'm like, I still need to like keep some income coming in. And I saw a flyer that said, help save the environment, $10 an hour, like take a tab. And I'm like, $10 an hour is more than six. And I, you know, saving the environment sounds really fun and cool. And and let me, let me check this out. So I went and I interviewed for this job It was a nonprofit called clean water action. And, you know, I, I took the subway down to center city and I, I was first, the first interview was, you know, sitting in the office, just kind of like making sure you can, you know, form a sentence and show some (laughs) passion for the job. Like, let's just make sure they're not a total crazy person. And so they said, great, like come back for a second interview. The second interview is an observation day. This is when you're actually going to go out into the field. You're going to watch somebody knock on doors for a couple hours, then you're going to try it on your own. And I was like, okay, cool. And I went and I did that. And my first, you know, my second interview, my first night out there knocking on doors, I raised like $75. Uh, going door to door, raising money for this organization. And I'm like, this is awesome. And they were like, wow, you raised $75. I was like, yeah, it was fun. You know? And they're like, you're hired. And so, um, so I did that job. And then I started it in February. So this, this is just shows you who I am. I took on a job going door to door in February in Philadelphia, pretty cold, but I going door to door at night, mind you, like in the projects basically. Um, but I totally loved it. I became a manager, like a trainer and then a manager by the summer. And then I worked there every summer and then part-time during the the school year. Wow. Okay. So, and that, and that, what did that, I mean, I'm sure that that had a huge, you know, impact on what Mm -hmm. it is that you felt like was now your calling in life. What did you, what did you do with that and from that? Yeah, that job like gave me everything. I mean, I worked there, you know, for six years, um, pretty much straight through. I took at least one hiatus when I, when I moved up to Rhode Island from Philadelphia, but it gave me everything. I mean, I made lifelong friends in that job. I met my husband in that job and the skills that I learned going door to door, that is where I learned sales. I mean, 
they, they, I remember they would teach five basic skills and then there were a lot of sub skills from there, like confidence, making eye contact, uh, keeping it short and simple, like all these basic sales skills. And then literally just learning like the empathy of just knocking on someone's door and getting in their world, just immediately getting in their world, understanding within a second, kind of assessing the situation. Do they look relaxed? Are they ready to sit down with you on the porch and have a conversation? Do they look super stressed out? Like you never know what you're walking into um, when you knock on someone's door at six o'clock at night. And so being able to think on your feet and immediately connect with someone. I mean, we would knock on doors with people that maybe hadn't talked to anyone all day and maybe they're an elderly person and nobody's asked them just how they're doing. Cause we'd always start out, how are you today? And the positive impact we would have on people's lives just by having that human interaction and having like a meaningful conversation about what's going on in the world and how can we hold politicians accountable? Like we would introduce that stuff. And I just, even talking about it, it, it makes me excited. And I've gone back and done like volunteer canvases and raised money, just going, you know, just doing it for fun as an alumni. And, um, it, it really gave, it just gave me everything. And, and, um, I took so much of what I learned at that job into, um, my current life as an entrepreneur. Did you, but you also, you took that and I think you were just mentioning it into politics, right? Didn't you? Yeah. You, I mean, it's, it's like a perfect setup when they talk about, you know, the community, yeah. What are the, you know, the, it's like, I know President Obama was a big community mm-hmm. organizer and this sounds very much like preparation for that, if not that in and of itself. Yeah. So in that, that organization, it's a nonprofit and they do community organizing and fundraising. And part of what they do is also, um, you know, endorsing politicians who are, you know, environmentally friendly. So we would, we would knock on doors also telling people about elected officials that we had endorsed and then mm-hmm. When I moved up to Providence from Philadelphia, you know, I left Clean Water Action and was like, I'm done knocking on doors, like I'm done with that. And so I got a job. Um, I I actually was almost going to go into a master's program because I didn't actually know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'm like, let's go to grad school. That's what people do when they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And uh, I actually, that was like a short-lived little dream there because it was like, two months after I graduated from college where I was like, nope, <laughs> I got a taste of the real world without school. I'm not going. So I, I quickly got my deposit back and did not go to grad school. Um, but I did get a job working for a congressional campaign. Um, uh, David Siegel was running for Congress in Rhode Island. And my husband was uh, friends and, you know, worked with a lot of people that were on the campaign. And he was like, well, I'm looking for people to, to work here. So I, I got paid like next to nothing. I, th- I think it ended up being like $5 an hour. It was, it was basically nothing like small stipend and, and yeah, did a lot of door knocking and organizing. And then they kind of brought me up to the executive level office because they heard I could fundraise. So then I, w- I would make fundraising calls for the candidate, which was really cool. Well, so, and, and then you would, it's like somewhere along the way, I mean, didn't you, you, you have kids, you have two kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, when, so the, did you have kids in the midst of that while you were not? Oh my God. No, this, so this all happened a few years before I had kids. So this was like 2010, um, was when this, you know, I, I graduated college in 2010 and, and worked on the campaign that summer. And then, uh, I went back to clean water action in the fall, um, cause they were looking, they were hiring for a director. Um, and so that was the next level up from what I, the, any role I had had before. So I became the director, the campus director of their Providence office and worked there from to that, the fall of 2010 through, uh, March, 2013. And that's when my, my son, Nathan was born. And so 2013 was a big year for you, right? Because not only was your son, Nathan, born, 
Yeah. But, well, that was, I mean, there was, I, I want to kind of peel back as to what was that holy shit moment that happened between like the birth of your son, grad school, mm-hmm. wasn't it? You stopped in the door to door, but yet you, I know it's also in 2013 that you launched this company that you, you started. So what happened? Yeah. What happened that, what was that trigger and that impetus? Yeah. So I think the Hoshimo was really, it was about fall of 2012. So I was pregnant. I was still working at Clean Water Action. And I, I remember the last night I actually went door to door. I was, you know, a few months pregnant. So I wasn't like big, but you know, walking around on your feet, even three, four months pregnant, I got like the worst, you know, just cramping up. I'm like, Oh my God. It was just that reality check of like, your life's got to change. You know, like you can't (laughs) do this job forever. Cause I was even before that, I knew I was going to leave that job because I didn't want to work into the, these were evening shifts. Like it was like, you know, going into the office at 10 or 11 in the morning and working till 10 at night. So I'm like, number one, I just know the hours cannot be that. That's why I, I told my boss when I was pregnant that I would be leaving, but I still was thinking like, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe like my friend Anne worked at a bar. I'm like, maybe I'll become a bartender. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like open for anything. And then that moment of being like, Oh God, I can't like be on my feet, (laughs) you know? Um, I was like, I need to do something different. And I remember, you know, having a conversation with my parents saying like, I want to be home. You know, I want to be not necessarily a stay at home mom. And the fact that I don't want to work, I just knew I wanted to be home. I didn't want to have a baby and then, you know, find a daycare within two months or whatever. And so my dad, you know, being an entrepreneur, he said, you should be a virtual assistant. And I had no idea what that was. I, I was working door to door. Like I didn't know what this online entrepreneur community was, knew nothing about it. And so I'm like, okay. He's like, listen, you can, you know, make your own income, set your own hours. It all really sounded too good to be true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, um, sure. You know, I I trust you. He goes, I'll be your first client, but you need to learn from me. I'm not going to just keep you on because you're my daughter, but you really have to, to work for it. And so you know, reading, I remember I read, uh, Carrie Wilkerson's book, the barefoot executive, and she is a, you know, successful business coach who's a mom and like reading her story. What was my, the first like business book I read about an entrepreneur who like really put their family first and like, you know, had a successful business. I was like, Oh, it was that holy shit moment. Like, Oh my God. Like, this is like, wow, this is awesome. This is so possible. And so that's when I just, I buckled up. I mean, I mentioned that kind of administrative job that was first for my dad. One of the tasks he had me do was check the links on his membership site. So for like $15 an hour, he would pay me to click through all the links in his membership site to make sure they weren't broken. And it was that moment where I was like, doing this for my kid, doing this for my kid, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. That's a eye in the prize, eye in the prize. Yep. Exactly. This is not about me anymore. <laughs> yep. And but you got out, but that was, but you, but this book, I love the fact that it was a book that was sort of this trigger, obviously, because mm-hmm. this is sort of why I like to do these podcasts is I think mm-hmm. of, you know, this is sort of my own personal book, if you will, mm-hmm. of, of things that other people are doing that hopefully can create inspiration for others to do. So you, you heard this, but how did you decide that the thing, like, I mean, I love that you read this book and that you were like, you know what, it's possible I could do this. And then seeing your dad being an entrepreneur obviously had an effect. Mm-hmm. I think you were you know, the fact that you're super well grounded and this, you know, your upbringing, I think all played a huge role, at least from my chair, from what I, it feels like to me, but how did you then decide on podcast? I mean, actually for me, it's sort of funny because for me, podcasts and 
and interviews and and doing you know what you've done and I want you to explain a little bit more what it is that you your you know your company does and how you got there but it feels so much like community organizing on a level you know what I mean it is oh my gosh yeah like that I mean it's just done in a more virtual digital way yes a hundred percent yeah it it it's so funny, like the parallels of my business and, and what my team does now to my life going door to door. It really is just organizing hosts and organizing guests. And, you know, what kind of got me into that? I'm, I am so sorry. I hope Fred can edit this because my daughter okay. just opened the door. I'm, I'm okay. on an interview, Lucy. Here. <laughs> I apologize. I told them I was on an interview, but I'm like, I'm really glad it seems that there's an editor here. Okay. Yeah, no, we um, got it. Fred, we'll, we'll stop. We'll hit pause because I got to give him a break. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so so the the parallels seem seem super interesting to, you know, to community organizing and, you know, what yes. you do now with podcasting, right? It's kind of cold calling in many ways. Oh, absolutely. It is so much there's so many parallels to my life and my business now to going door to door. And it's been really great because I'll, I'll, we use examples. My business partner and I actually met at that job. So she and I both have that background and we'll always say, you know, when we went door to door, we would always match energies and you have to, you know, mirror energies when you're doing sales calls. Like so much of what we learned there is so applicable here because it really just comes down to human experience and human relationships and communication. And that can be applied really everywhere, but even down to, organizing interviews for entrepreneurs on podcasts is so much like the community organizing we did, um, you know, going door to door with the, with the nonprofit. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it, I, for me, it does, it, it makes all the sense in the world and it makes sense that that would have been what you were attracted to in terms of how you start your business. But I mean, the fact that that's, you started it and it, you now, you know, seven figures, you have 18 mm-hmm. employees seven years later. Yeah. Um, what's, what is, what is new? What are you seeing thematically and what is new, I guess, for you and what you are, are doing now? Because I think you also made a big change just a couple of years ago as well. Mm-hmm. That's your business. Yeah. So we, you know, at first I was growing the company as a, you know, really just a freelancer. I started bringing on other freelancers and it was a lifestyle business. Like it was from the beginning, it was always like, I'm doing this because I want to be a home-based mom. Mm-hmm. And then it really shifted as it grew. And there, there was a turning point of like, okay, this is bigger than me. This is not Jess's lifestyle business. So she could be a stay at home mom. Like this is more than just me. This is, you know, I, I have clients who are pretty successful and like relying on this for their business. And this needs to be more sustainable and all of that. And so we shifted from having a lot of contractors, you know, helping book interviews to having in-house employees. And also um, I brought on my first employee who is Margie. She became co-owner and it really got to that point uh, late 2017 that I realized I didn't want to do this alone. Like I wanted to grow something big. I really wanted to grow, you know, a real business, a real company bigger than just you know, again, a freelance business that, or a, a lifestyle business and bringing on a business partner, specifically Margie, cause we had been working together and it, we had just a great balance, um, would really just make it more fun and would help us grow, you know, at twice the speed. And so that's the big change that we made is, is switching over to having in-house W2 employees doing the whole thing with benefits and <laughs> all of that. 
to then bringing on a co-owner, you know, giving up half the equity, um, but ultimately making so much more money because we had twice the, twice the power. <laughs> I, well, and I love that in, in like giving up the control, you end up being more successful because yes. I think that that's a great lesson for people to learn and to hear too. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is, it, it is somehow in the, there was a, it's, there was a great quote from a different podcast I did in a totally different circumstance, but it, she was like, you know, the, the power is not in the control. It is in the surrender. And oh my gosh, so um, true. there, there is something super real about that and that you found, you know, personal freedom and success by giving up that control. I love that. That quote is really powerful. And I've definitely experienced that because before I had a business partner, it was, it was the Jess show. Like if I didn't want to do my sales follow-ups, guess what? I didn't do them. And nobody held me accountable to it because it was my business. Like I didn't owe anyone an explanation because it was my business Mm -hmm. and having a partner has actually been great. And, um, (laughs) I will say it's, it's not always easy having to be accountable to someone else because sometimes you want to just not do the thing you want yet you have to do. And, (laughs) but it is, but having that accountability and having somebody else that you're working with and working for, it really does push you because we need accountability. We need mm-hmm. somebody that's going to hold us accountable and support us too. We support each other immensely. She's like my second spouse, you know, yep. like we support each other so much and we hold each other accountable. And it is that, that surrendering all of the control, um, or surrendering or half the control, I guess, yeah. <laughs> has really allowed the company to grow so much faster. Yeah, that's great. I love, I love the story, Jessica, and I love the fact that it's, you know, I, doing these has been super fun for me, but it's fun to be able to interview guests that um, have tried, they've tried to have it all. And I think that it's very hard for people to successfully do, but you've done that by just kind of a constant ebb and flow of sort of, you know, one passion after the other. And then you kind of leverage that passion onto to what you do next, but always sort of being grounded in what's important and putting family first and, you know, your mm-hmm. own well-being. And, and then, you know, in doing that, finding greater success because of the, the relinquishment of control in, in so many different ways. So I think it's a great story and hopefully a big inspiration for people who listen in on this one. This has been great. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.